So today we are interviewing the Federal Reserve GOAT himself, Mr. G. Eber Griffin. We got into the Great Reset, Jab Mandates, Central Bank Digital Currencies, Red Pill Expos, Controlled Opposition, and a whole bunch of other topics the censors would not like us to talk about, especially on WhoTube. I mean, YouTube. I mean, TheyTube. If you guys want to see the full interview, make sure you head to timandjohnshow.com to see all the places you can find our content that is not suitable for the YouTube Thought Police. Hope you guys enjoy, and let's go, Brandon. Today, we have a very special edition of the Tim and John Show. We are joined by the legend himself, Mr. G. Ever Griffin. Personally, Mr. Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, was the most transformative book I've ever read, and really has prepared me a great deal to deal with everything that is going on today. If you have not read Creature from Jekyll Island, highly recommend picking that up. And even better, you should buy multiple copies, and then you should get your butt down to Lafayette, Louisiana for the next Red Pill Expo and then have Mr. Griffin sign it himself would probably be the best thing you could possibly do, or maybe you can pick him up there. Yeah. But you know, for it's hard his to... 90th birthday. <laughs> for his 90th birthday. He's 90 years yeah. young. But it is hard to believe it's already been a year since the last time you were on our show, and what a year it's been. Last time uh, we had you on, the United States selection was uh, just about to happen. We talked about QAnon and how that was more than likely a PSYOP. And then we, then Mr. Griffin also told us about the White Dove and how they're pretty much running the exact same playbook from 40 years ago. And in many cases, even using the same names. They're using Nassara and Jasara back then. Uh, you know, obviously it was before any of us were alive uh, uh, on here. So, you know, it was great, you know, just having that knowledge from what was going on, because that was one of the things that I had never hear about, uh, that heard about before. Now, one year later, we have, uh, you know, mandatory gene therapy that's being mandated in many places. That's why I see uh, Mr. John Snyson hiding out somewhere in the Canadian gulags under the cover of dark over there. Uh, we've got, I mean, we have, you know, vaccine passports are already in place in many places. We now have MasterCard and announcing that they're going to start tracking voluntarily, of course, carbon allowances to see what your carbon footprint is. We have 110 countries around the world that are actively exploring a central bank digital currency or CBDC. And to me, there's never been a more relevant time to have Mr. Griffin on. But with that said, you know, there's you know things we didn't even mention, like, you know, supply chain issues and inflation and just this whole general planned implosion of the true economy. But with that said, I'd like to thank you for coming on and like to ask you what is most uh, front and center for you these days. Uh, what do you think about the statements uh, we just made? And then also, you know, what should people be paying attention to? But thank you for coming on, Mr. Griffin. Well, thank you for inviting me. I really didn't uh, have much of an idea of what I was supposed to do on this uh, program, but I thought I'll find out in due time. Well, I just found out. So okay. I guess you want me to express my opinions on things. <laughs> and uh, that's always fun. Uh, and I'd be glad to do that. Uh, Provided everybody understands I retain the right to change my mind at any point <laughs> with the passage of history. I have a record of um, being right about a lot of things, but the one thing I'm, I've never had a good record on, and that's the timing. I've been pretty, pretty fortunate to be able to predict what is going to happen, but I've always been a little bit on the chicken little side, thinking that the sky was going to fall <laughs> a little sooner than it actually did fall or was is falling. So with that said, sure, I've got opinions on a lot of these things, and, and I'd like to think that most of those opinions are based on either a lot of experience or a lot of reading. I have become kind of an avid book reader, which surprised me in my younger days because I went through school not thinking that books were of much value for anything except to stand on to reach the top shelf, you know, occasionally something like that. But um, that's because in school, 
frankly, I never read any interesting books. They were all uh, very boring to me, probably of some value that I didn't understand and still don't. But especially history was boring. Now I know why, because all the books that I'd read in school were crammed with dates and events and a lot of memory activity to remember who fought this war, what was the year, and what was the battle called, and what was the regime that came in. There was no, no discussion of what was really going on in the human sphere during all of this history. It was just like looking at a crowd of people walking down the street, and you're looking into these faces, and you don't know who they are. You don't have much interest in them. If for some reason, as you walk down the street, you could somehow penetrate past the faces and in an instant get their whole life history, probably most of those people would be very, very interesting. And it's just because you don't know the details of their lives. And that's sort of what happened to me in terms of history. It wasn't until I came out of, uh, out of school and I accidentally started to read some good history books. Harold Lamb was the author of a couple of books that changed my whole attitude about history. He uh, is a very, I mean, he's not a well-known author. I think he lived in Beverly Hills, contemporary, but he wrote a lot about ancient history. The thing that was different is that his books were written on, were based upon the, the words, the diaries, the conversations, and the printed, printed records, written records of the actors themselves in history. It wasn't, it wasn't the historian describing events. It was the people who lived the events describing the events and their reactions to it. And wow, that really put a whole different slant on it. Uh, I, I remember reading the first one I read uh, written by Harold Lamb. I, I don't know what got me off on this thing, but I'm doing a free, sort of a free form thought. And I'd like to recommend this, these books to anybody that wants to get rediscover history the way I did. The first one I think was called Tamerlane or Timur the Great. Maybe that was the full title, Tamerlane, Timur the Great. And uh, Timur, of course, was the name of, Tamerlane was the name of uh, one of those um, Oriental um, warriors like uh, Genghis Khan, a famous warrior that would just conquer huge uh, amounts of land and he was known for his brutality and wisdom, strangely enough. And, and Tamerlane was one of those that was, at Timor, I think means the short one. He was a little short guy and he had kind of a, a limp and he turned out to be a great general. It's kind of a strange thing, but Tamerlane was one of the guys that created military strategies that wound up, I'm told, wound up being major players in the game we call chess. Those are all based upon military strategies that Tamerlane had a role in developing. Anyway, I got into these things. I read a book about um, was named Theodora, the, the Empress, Theodora, who was the, the Empress of the last emperor, emperor of Rome before it completely collapsed. And uh, I've forgotten his name. I remember him. Um, the name, his name will come to me in a minute. Uh, anyway, he was very unknown in history because he was a drunk. Uh, he was a spoiled kid, you know, born into luxury and didn't have any desire to do anything but uh, drink and play with the ladies. And so he picked up Theodora, who was a, a prostitute in the, at the, um, uh, the Colosseum. I guess they had a lot of those, those things, they had a lot of wares for sale down around the Colosseum, and, and the prostitutes were one of those. And he, he spied this one and thought she looked pretty good and brought her back to the palace. And uh, she uh, became popular, very popular with him. And 
he was drunk most of the time. And uh, so all of the uh, ambassadors, all the, um, the generals, all everybody involved in the emperor that wanted to reach the, the emperor had to go through Theodora. And the first thing you know, Theodora was making the decisions and not the emperor. And she wound up running the whole bloody empire. And when you read what was going on in the words of these people themselves, it just, it just sparkled with light. So all of that is definitely an aside from what's going on today, except in the sense that until you know the details, the really minute details, it's hard to understand history, even if you're living it. And I think one of the one of the problems today is that the people do not get the details or the ones they're getting are fake or incomplete in some way. You're certainly taking COVID as an example by reading the headlines and the, the approved stories on the mainstream media today. I guarantee you that it's impossible for the smartest person, the best educated person, the one with the highest IQ in the world, it would be impossible for such a person to have any idea of what was really going on. So um, with all that as a background, I didn't mean to shoot off in all of those crazy directions. Uh, my, uh, my view of history is somewhat that way and that I like to look at the little details and I like to talk to people who lived through these events. I learned more from maybe a, a one hour conversation or two hour conversation with somebody like Yuri Bezmianov, for example, who was the KGB defector that I interviewed on video some years ago and then it was lost and then somebody found it on the internet. It went viral. It hit <laughs> millions of people saw it many years later. But Yuri Bezmianov taught me more about real, the reality of the Soviet Union and the relationship between the citizens of the Soviet Union and uh, the rulers than I ever got from all of the pundits, all of the magazine articles, all the books that were being published in the United States. So having said all that, I, I get to the uh, part where it gets a little trickier, and that is what's going on today. Um, I don't know, I think I have a feeling that probably the viewers on this program probably are very much like I am. They're aware that the, the traditional orthodox sources of information are corrupted. And uh, you can get some information from there, but you always have to be aware and probably suspicious that what you're being told is not the truth. And so you have to be defensive a lot of the times and think, okay, is this, could there be a motive for somebody lying to me about this? If so, what would that be? Maybe it's the truth, maybe it's not. You have to be very cautious and kind of skeptical, I think. Uh, but I'm sure that the, just knowing John as I do, and, and I've, I've heard about you other fellows, and I know that you've got an audience probably a lot like I am. They're very skeptical and very cautious of what they believe. So with all of that as background, what do we think about today? Well, what do I think about today? I think we're, I think we're living in a very unusual time, of course. It's obvious. Everybody says unusual times. Some people say it's a, they're, they're terrible times. They're they're dangerous times, all of which I suppose is true. But I think these are very fortuitous times. I think this, these are times that needed to come. And by that, I mean, I've been aware after this transition I made to reading real history books, I've been aware that the American culture and the American civilization, which is not just Americans, it's, it's European to a large extent. The, the culture and the system under which we have 
lived and enjoyed a lot of liberty and freedom and a lot of creativity, a lot of prosperity, all of these things had been under attack for a long, long time. And the plan was laid a long, long time ago to destroy it, to destroy it, not to change it. Because the plan, as I discovered, was the idea that it could not be changed. It was, it was too strong. You couldn't alter it. But you could destroy it, perhaps. And then you could rebuild from the ground up. It's, it's, easy, it's easier to change uh, an automobile uh, to a truck by uh, throwing it away and buying a truck <laughs> than to take a car and try and change every piece of the car. And, and uh, all, all of a sudden you have a truck at the end of the process. That's been the idea of the enemies of liberty. Uh, we're not maybe going to talk about who they are or why they do this, but we know that they're there and they hate liberty on our part because for some reason uh, they feel that they are a superior lot and by means of uh, virtue or by means of good luck or heredity or something else, I don't know. They feel it is their obligation to rule the world and, uh, and they set out to do it. And, uh, and they, they've laid the plan to destroy liberty, no matter where it should show up. And, and, and of course, liberty is based upon independence. That's, and everything that supports independence of the individual has to be destroyed. That means that means um, you have to be unhealthy. It means you must not have property. It means you must have you must not have a family. You must not have a religious belief. All of these things that would support you as an individual and and allow you to survive through voluntary cooperation with other people, it has to be destroyed because the goal is to make everybody on the planet so desperate for mere survival. They're on their hands and knees begging for such basic things as food and water and shelter and protection against a terrible disease and all these things. So that's been the plan. I've been aware of that. And, uh, and I, I'm coming back to my point about why it's such a good time today, because I was, I was very depressed over the decades watching this, this tide of, of, of tyranny slowly rising on the beach, coming further and further up the beach, up the beach. Finally, it was up to the where the land is and not just the sand. And finally, it's about around the, the steps of the buildings and it's creeping up the steps. And I've watched it slowly invading into our civilization, getting higher and higher. And people were noticing it and said, boy, if we don't do something about that, that water is going to get really high on these days. We've got to really do something about it. And so they go back to their... Uh, affairs. It's uh, another analogy would be, I remember back in the 60s, the, uh, the analogy often was used that the dark storm clouds of tyranny can be seen off at the distance. You can see the lightning strikes over there on the horizon and those clouds are moving toward us. And if we don't do something about, about what prepare for the storm, the storm will be upon us and we will be destroyed by it. And then we went back to our everyday business because the storm was way far away. Now we come to the time and we look up and the storm is directly above us. And the lightning strikes are not against the hills or the mountains on the horizon. They're down upon us and our buildings and our trees and our homes. We are now in the eye of the storm right now. So now for the first time, it is impossible, logically impossible, unless a person is absolutely insane to say, well, yeah, I guess we better do something about it someday pretty soon. 
but then we go back to our little pleasures now and enjoy life while we can. We no longer have the option of uh, postponing any action that we're going to have to take. And I look forward to that because my own life experience has been that the hardest times that I've lived through have driven me and forced me to do something that was a little risky, a little off the wall, something I wasn't really ready to do, something I didn't really want to do, but I had no choice. I was thrust into it. And it was only then under those, those periods of great crisis and challenge and pain in some cases and fear and all of that, it was only then that I was able to realize what my full potential was because I was never willing to test it. Now we all are being tested to see what our full potential is. And I think that we have a great deal of unrealized full potential among the freedom-loving people of the world, and particularly in America and Canada and the Western world, where we have enjoyed, we have enjoyed uh, the heritage of freedom for so long. It's part of our, our heritage now. I can see in some countries, uh, places of the world where they've never known liberty. It's always been dictatorships or slavery of some kind. Maybe, maybe that isn't so true in those cases, but I think even there, there's this, this desire for liberty that burns in the heart and it's there ready to be tapped at any point. And I think when people realize that this is it, this is it, it's now or never, it's go time. I think we're beginning to see now, John, the beginning of an awakening and a rising of power and, and resolution and intuition and, and inventiveness and the creativity. We're figuring out things, we're preparing, we're getting organized, we're we're preparing and we're learning and we're getting ready for the battle that is upon us now. And uh, it's kind of invigorating. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I have a feeling it's going to turn out well. That doesn't mean there won't be a big fight. It doesn't mean that there won't be a big battle. But I feel for the first time that we have a chance of winning because everybody's joining into the battle now. Not everybody, but enough. That's the point. Whereas up until this point, everybody was still uh, infatuated with their golf games and uh, dancing with the stars. <laughs> Now those boys are over, they're past, and it's time to get down to real business. So I don't know if that's what you wanted me to say, but that was just kind of a free form of ideas that came to mind when you said that talk about what you want to, very dangerous thing to do around me. So there you have it. Yeah, no, no, it makes total sense that, uh, you know, we really, people are really starting to feel it, you know, especially here in Canada where uh, several places like we're at now, you know, you got vaccine passports here. You have people losing their jobs if they don't take the vaccine and so on. It really is up front uh, to people. And the people, as you said, you know, they've been watching the sports and, you know, just going about life. Now, suddenly they, they finally are starting to stand up because they have nothing to lose anymore. You know, they're, they're at that breaking point, you know. And I have several friends because of inflation right now, they were on the brink and now they're starting to talk to me. It's like, Hey, you know, like I, I don't have uh, like, I had to stop uh, eating this kind of food right now because I have so little money now because everything is so much more expensive. And so, so you're really starting to see that breaking point, you know, in the, in the tyranny and um, it's just going, you know, like harder and harder. And if you look at, you know, Trudeau, what he's doing here in Canada, he just implemented that if you travel of any sort, except for in your own car, uh, you have to be vaccinated. It doesn't matter. You can't even test anymore. Um, so they're really doubling down on their tyranny because they are, I, I have a feeling that they're really at the, you know, they're, this is their chance, you know, that they've been looking for for so long to really like implement a lot of their stuff. And they, they have gotten half the way. 
uh, with some certain things. And then, of course, you've got the central bank digital currencies on top of that that are, you know, like uh, kind of uh, under the surface, you know, ready to pop up uh, several places as well. So they really are, you know, as you said, you know, people are really starting to feel it. And, and they're starting to actually wake up to the fact that, you know, if I don't do, do something, you know, I might lose everything. So, yeah, you're, you're totally spot on there. Ed. And this is, you know, throughout history, you know, there's been moments like this. And uh, it, it just gives you goosebumps, you know, that you're in one of those moments in history. Like this is you know, probably one, uh, one uh, piece of history that will be written about for sure. And, and I just wanted to say, uh, so I did, I was trying to look at up some of the stuff that you're uh, trying to, um, trying to remember. So it looks like the last emperor of Rome was Romulus Augustulus, uh, known as Augustulus. Uh, so that's according to Wikipedia. So who knows if that's actually accurate uh, with their track record. And it sounded like he was just put in as a more or less like a figurehead from his father. And then this other uh, barbarian came in, let's see, Odysseur and then came in and killed the father and then Augustulus was just basically a child and then he stepped down is what it uh well who was his father does it say here it was uh, yes uh at the time is it? Justinian the I think it was. Magister Militum Arrestius I'm not sure Arrestius. oh Arrestius. I, I just remembered it was Justinian is uh let's see what it says about Justinian uh my recollection was that he was considered to be the last official Roman Empire, but maybe there were some. Yeah, it has it has this guy as the last one because because then if you go because it doesn't have anything for successor over here on uh, so it just has predecessor and then I then clicked on the next guy who then was the he is basically the uh, the first king of Italy is this uh, Flavius Odysseur and then uh, <laughs> I love these names, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Yeah. And then I also found uh, today, Romulus. Uh, and I also found Tamer Tamerlane or Timur the Great. Uh, yeah. In terms of, was, was this a book that you were referencing? They yeah, do have some. The, yeah, that's uh, gives see. the author there. Uh, Let's see, uh, it's a, Ahmed Ibn no, Rabishah, no, and then J. No. H. Sanders. No, that's not it. No. Let's anyway, see. okay. Oh, anyways. I love this. You, 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 I wish everybody did this. Um, yeah, there, there's very few people that actually go and look up things, you know, and as soon yeah. as I hear, you know, yeah. older guys talk about, you know, books that they read, I, I try to find it and buy it uh -huh. as soon as I can. Yeah. Uh, because there's so many golden, uh, you know, uh, stories that are being told out there that, you know, uh, and, and of course, a lot of times the victors of history gets to read, uh, you know, write history as well. So who, who well, knows? Correction, correction on that, John. It's not a lot of times, all the time. I was going to, I was going to, I was, I almost, I almost jumped, I almost jumped in there and said that too. And that's, and that's one of the positive things with blockchain technology is that it's for the first time we have an immutable, actually accounting of history where if somebody changes something and if it's on the blockchain you can see what it what it said what it used to say who changed it when it was changed and so this yeah. is really the first time that we have an immutable history uh so but you know when i read first for a creature from jekyll island was probably around 2010 right around the time i discovered bitcoin and then i immediately thought that that was sort of the mark of the beast block uh 
technology that was going to use to enslave us. So I didn't invest, which I wish I did because I'd probably be like a billionaire by now. But you know, your book sort of scared me out of it. And I, to some degree, <laughs> I was right. Now, to some degree, I was right because that the underpinning of blockchain technology does seem like it's going to be the tool they're going to use to enslave the people. And as you were talking about before, you know, make everyone so desperate and so dear for survival and getting people begging for food and water. Uh, you know, if you go back to, I can't remember if his name was Paul Warburg or, you know, the, you know, the, uh, basically the, the guy that founded the federal reserve, you know, he said, we shall have a one world government. It's only a matter of through consent or conquest. And it seems like the game plan will be to basically make everybody poor and desperate and have them come in as the, the saviors and coming in to help. And then that help is going to be some sort of, uh, you know, basic universal basic income that's going to be through one of these CBDCs and then like marrying that with the VAX ports. And, and ultimately it, it, I'm just not sure there's enough people out there that are awake. And then it seems like the people that are awake to the, to the problem that something is going on, that then they get then diverted or psyoped into something else. And I think that's what we saw with the QAnon movement where you had good hearted, well-intentioned people who then thought there's some white knight that's going to go save them or Trump has a plan and trust the plan, which obviously, you know, talking like this, you know, pissed off a lot of our audiences who are, you know, Trump people, but, you know, for someone like you, that's been in the game longer than I've even been alive or, you know, twice as long as I've probably even been alive. It's just, it was just so frustrating the past four years, seeing all these well-intentioned people getting diverted into the wrong thing. And, and I feel like we sort of like squandered, uh, not that like any Republican or, you know, the system's going to save us. We've got to save ourselves, but I just, I'm not, I think ultimately we're going to win, but I just see that a lot of the, the people out there are not going to make it through whatever they're going to do, or they're going to succumb to taking the mark of the beast, which is in my opinion, the central bank digital currencies. And they're going to marry that with the vaccine passports. And, and, and hopefully, you know, there's it, it just, unfortunately, I just don't think there's enough of us that actually understand sort of the game plan and, and people understand that there is a problem. It's just, I don't know if there's, if they have the right solutions, not to say that we all, you know, anyone has the right solutions, but, you know, ultimately I just don't not as optimistic that it's going to be, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be a very bumpy road, you know, the next, you know, certainly the next decade, but, you know, it's an exciting time to be alive and uh, I'm glad you're here to witness, you know, everything that's going on because it just seems like now it, you know, it's all starting to come to fruition. Yeah, well, that's my thought exactly, except it, not just to witness it, but to participate in it, because <laughs> we can, even each of us as individuals, you don't have to have written a book that everybody's read. As an individual, you have a circle of friends, and they, they have a circle of friends. And our, our hidden weapon, the secret weapon that can never take from us is the exchange of ideas. And that, that's why they're so working so hard to actually try to do that by controlling, uh, to dominate our means of communication, if they can you know, shadow ban people, or if they can take them down off of the, the internet, and they, they hope that they can completely block uh, the means of communication. So uh, whatever we do in the way of that thing we call a solution, I think there'd be many solutions, but the common denominator to all of them to make them work is that we have to, we have to keep the channels of communication open. And yep. that's, uh, that I think, no matter what we do, we've got to keep speaking, we've got to find alternate channels, we've got to go back and and discover the the value of the printed word. Uh, passing a book around uh, uh, is very, very valuable. I mean, that's what's always be, been done in history. These banned books have been passed from person to person to person. And you can throw a switch and kill the whole internet. And all these wonderful videos we've got up there and all these great wise statements on our blogs and everything are gone. Blink like that. But a book 
can be uh, passed around and, and reprinted and copied. I mean, even the beginning of there, there were some monks that sat around and spent all their life copying books word for word, you know, they can have two copies now. And revolutions were started with that. So I think we have to keep the communications going and give a renewed attention to the value of the printed word. If we could, if everybody could turn their local printers into a copying machine to reproduce printed pamphlets, documents of some kind, I think the age of the pamphleteer might be coming back upon us. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that you had Amazon pull 1984 from everyone's like digital Kindle. So, I mean, I don't know what's more 1984 <laughs> than Amazon actually pulling that. So, I mean, it, to me, like I've never been a download the book type guy. You know, I want it physical because, you know, if it's any, if it's any good, I mean, I imagine I'm so surprised your stuff still, I mean, I don't, I didn't check, but I'm surprised it's still on Amazon or I mean, I don't want to jinx you. I am too. I am too. I, I don't understand that. I guess they've yeah. never read it. They don't understand what's in there. It's too long for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, and I know that you also had a book on cancer as well. And so, I mean, it just seems like a lot of the areas that you've been focusing on were, you know, have all sort of coalescing around together with, you know, everything that's sort of going on right now and, and just, you know, how much you've, you know, really kind of hit the nail on the head. But can you got get into uh, you know, we've got the Red Pill Expo coming up. I was at the one last year on uh, on Jekyll Island, drove from Arizona all the way out there to avoid any of the mask mandates and had a, had a great time out there. Uh, but can you let people know like what they might be able to expect at the one from Lafayette, Louisiana this year and, and some of the uh, the main issues and themes you guys will be focusing on? Sure. Absolutely. I'd be glad to do that. I think it's first uh, important to know what the general theme is because Red Pill Expo is, is substantially different than any other event that's ever been tried. It's my knowledge, and maybe there has been, but I'm not aware of it. Uh, most of the, uh, the positive events that I would like to go to over the years have been focused on some local or a narrow issue, like it might be, uh, uh, let's say, education, where this is a conference on what's happening in our schools. Or we have some people that, that form into peace groups, and they're, they're alarmed over, uh, over the aggressive wars that the United States has gotten involved in all around the world, uh, if not in the interest of the American people at all. And others are concerned about uh, you know, drug abuse and so forth, and these are all valuable. And uh, what, we're, what we try to do is focus on, a, let's say that we rise up a, another floor open the elevator and look down upon the, the scene below us and we see that there are a lot of issues out there and there's a common denominator to all of them. Wouldn't it be great, uh, we thought, if we could combine all of these groups with different issues, different styles uh, and, and unite, not that they have to give up their own identity or their own crusades, or their own issues, but to recognize that there's a common element and they should all be working together to promote these that common element in their and their desires. That common element, of course, is liberty, freedom of choice. And um, how do you express that in something that's popular? Well, we looked for a meme and we found it. It's the red pill. What, what better than the red pill meme? Just, you know, the, the, everything we want to talk about can be expressed in terms of illusion versus reality. So take the red pill, my friend. Discover what the reality is. Discard your illusions and wake up and you know, see life the way it really is. So that's what we did with Red Pill Expo. So we have a lot of different topics there. That's the point. And it, it is a way for people to recognize that they're not alone. And all of a sudden, if you put all of these splinter groups together, not that they're giving up their, their program in any way, but to realize that they're, they're all on the same front, 
we we have a powerful force. And so what we're trying to do is not build an organization, but build a, a coalition. So with that in mind, you, somebody just brought up the, uh, the cover or the front page of the Red Pill Expo. Could that be brought up again? Or yep, just have just one second here. Let me get it back up. All right. So okay. That's our, our home page. Yeah. And uh, so if you could scroll up, is that possible? Uh, you know what? Yeah, go up a little bit. And we have our speakers, most of them listed there. Yeah, so I think we've got. Yeah, there you go. More. So the first, of course, you got me there, and I'm telling about the Red Bell Expo in more depth than I just did a moment ago. And here are the speakers. Uh, of course, I think by now, most of your listeners know about uh, uh, David Martin. Uh, this guy is his brain is so big. I don't know how he gets it inside that tiny skull of his, but he's got more information than you can possibly absorb. And this time he'll be talking about his discovery of the patents. He's he's a, he's an expert. He has, he has a company, a very large international company that specializes in um, verifying uh, patents and patent databases. And it's hard for me to figure out how that's a commercial venture, but I, I guess it's a very big one. And so he's got the expertise and the equipment, the computers to analyze all the patent applications and legal cases dealing with patents in the world. And he came up with the history of the many different patents that were made for components of the COVID-19. Patents, this thing was patented long before it was discovered in the bat caves of, or near Wuhan or in, this, in the market there, <laughs> we find out that, wait a minute, there were people patenting these different uh, genetic coding sequences for that. And then the same people, it turns out, were also patenting the uh, vaccines that would be offered to cure the diseases that they were inventing. Uh, you talk about a smoking gun. There it is. Uh, these same people, uh, we know who they are. They're the biggest names in the whole vaccine movement. The ones, you know, that uh, are always telling us that we got to get our vaccines or we can't return to normal until we get our vaccines. They're the ones who are standing to make zillions of dollars from these patents that they have on both the disease and the cure. So that's one you don't want to miss. Guy uh, and Charlene Bollinger, of course, I think most of your people know who they are. Have this tremendous uh, video series, uh, The Truth About Cancer. And, um, and they kind of led the way in establishing this style of um, distributing information on the internet by putting up a free, um, uh, a free view of a, like a seven day or an eight day docu-series. And then they have to of course pay for it. So then they said, we hope you liked it. And if you like it, maybe you'd like to have a copy for your own library. Would you like to buy a set? You don't have to, but they sold enough sets that people wanted to have a permanent copy that they were able to pay for the program. And then some, I'm happy to say. So they sort of started that whole thing. We've seen a lot of it since then, but these were the pioneers in that. And in addition to that, they've got a lot of information they've picked up over the years. And now they're gonna be talking about the cover-up and censorship of, uh, of uh, countless, notice that it all starts with a C. This is their clever title. Cover-up and censorship of countless COVID coincidences and conspiracies. <laughs> so I like that they can put a little humor into a very serious topic. I'm looking forward to that. Del Bigtree is a big superstar in the uh, vaccine uh, safety movement. And this guy is so wound up, he's, he's on fire. He was on fire when I first met him. <laughs> uh, 
back in 2017, but now it's an alarm fire. And he is, he's going to expose these, I'll clean it up a little bit, these uh, uh, unethical gentlemen <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in the vaccine industry. And with his information, I've seen some of it, it's going to be absolutely uh, uh, stunning. Now, these two characters down here, characters, I don't mean that negatively, <laughs> strong characters, uh, Audra uh, Martin and Sean Fredrickson, I just saw them for the first time a couple of weeks ago on the internet, and their, their testimonies before the San Diego County Board of Supervisors were so powerful, that they, and they hadn't met each other. They, testimonies were on different days, and they both lived in the area, but they made testimonies before the county, just knocking the socks off of the county board because of their duplicity and, and all the things they were doing with, with you know, calling for mandates and masking and all these things, and they had done their homework. And they just stood up there and stuck their jaws out and pointed their fingers at the uh, county board and just told them uh, what was what. And, and their, their videos went viral. And so I was fortunate to be able to get in touch with them and invite them to speak at our event. And they're coming and, um, and they'll be talking not only about their own research, they've, they've come across something which may be of great interest to people in terms of how to make these people on the boards of of uh, supervisors and, and federal boards and all these things and executives of corporations to make them liable, personally liable for the results of the damage that's done because of their, of their efforts. It, I'm, I was skeptical at first. I've looked at what they're presenting and I got the idea that, hey, this just might work. So they'll be talking about that. Nothing would be better in my mind, make these uh, unethical gentlemen uh, liable for their acts. Alex Newman always does a tremendous job. Uh, he's our coordinator of content material for Red Pill University. He's a journalist, as you probably know. He's a podcaster. He's on top of everything. You name the topic, he's ready to give you a 90-minute illustrated lecture on it uh, with a lot of history behind it. And, uh, and this time, he's going to, his title is Beyond Evil, the Transhuman Agenda. And I looked at some of his slides and Again, Alex has done his research. It's going to be absolutely stunning. Now, Peter Pry, many people have heard of him, but not so many in our movement. Uh, he's, uh, he comes from Washington, D.C., and so uh, we don't hold that against him. <laughs> he's been on government panels, but he's been one of the good guys that's been ignored. He's been trying to tell Congress for many years that the United States and other countries around the world are at great peril because of potential damage to our power grid. Now, everybody knows about the potential damage of an EMP attack. You know, the enemy might blow up an atomic bomb high in the atmosphere, and we may not see it or hear it, but the, uh, the magnetic impulse of that explosion would and definitely would wipe out almost all of the unprotected electronic gear uh, over a great swath of land, and probably half of the North American continent. And that would this into the dark ages, literally, because it would blow out our transformers. It's not just knocking out your cell phone or your radio or your television, but they're knocking out the huge transformers that are in all the power plants. Those take, it takes five years between, I think it's five or maybe it's seven years between the date when you order one and then when you get it delivered, and then it probably takes another year to get it hooked up. And besides that, they're all made overseas and they don't have any on the shelf. 
So if they knock out any of these big transformers, which they would if we had an EMP, we would be out of electricity for years. We couldn't survive that. Our civilization could not survive that. And he's been trying to tell uh, Congress and the execs in the uh, uh, power industry about this. And they look at him and say, yeah, we, yeah, we know, we're gonna look into that. And he's gonna be talking about that and why he thinks they are deliberately not doing something about that. In addition to this, the EMP, we have to realize that even if we don't have an enemy that's gonna drop a bomb or, or won't shoot off one in the air, and even if our own people don't do it in order to just to create the destruction I was talking about before, uh, the sun is going to do it. There's something called the corona mass ejection, the, the monster one. Not, solar flares happen you know, all the time. Some of them are big enough to cause a lot of havoc on the earth, but about every 170 years, every 150 years, there is a, a large one and it will wipe out the transformers again. You don't have to have an enemy doing this. The sun is going to do it. And it happens about every 150 years. And the last one happened about 165 years ago. So statistically we're overdue and they're doing nothing about it. So Peter Fry is gonna be talking about that. Oh, sh hey, oh gosh, Christy Hutcherson. I've, I was so impressed by that gal. I call her the, uh, uh, the Joan of Arc of our modern movement because she's down there on the border in the Mexican-American border. And, and she's, she's right there out in her fatigues. I mean, she's down there with some of these guys that are standing face to face against these drug runners and the drug traffickers and they're killing people down there. I mean, they won't, I mean, they're risking their lives to be down there. And she's down there. She's a woman. She's a, a nice, pretty lady. And she's got a good education. She doesn't look like a wrestler or anything like that. I don't think she's a killer. She's willing to put her life on the line and she's rallying the troops to put a stop to this trafficking and this illegal immigration. And I'm sure you're gonna find a lot of interest and have a lot of interest in this. Now here we move on to Juliet Engel, MD. She's a doctor and I'm, maybe I'm taking too long to describe these people, but I'll try and make this short. She um, spent a long time in Russia um, heading up a program to rescue children who were being trafficked by uh, pedophiles and, uh, and women too, who, from, who were being pushed into um, prostitution, human trafficking. And she said that she never knew why she had to do this, but there was a great impulse. And then later on, she began, she met, she met somebody that helped her remember because they had, as children, they had both put into a MK Ultra program the CIA that operated in it, and both of them put into a subcategory called sex magic. And it was a brutal program in which they take little kids and they torture them and torture them and develop split personalities. And, and they turn them into little robots and they use them for whatever reasons they want to use them. Uh, they, they use them as spies. Sometimes they use them to compromise people who are their opponents. Uh, they use them to blackmail people and all that sort of thing. And they usually these poor kids that they grow up in this, um, they either kill themselves or they die of some kind of malnutrition or something, or, or they get killed. And often they don't have any memory of any of that because that's part of the programming. But she was able to bring her memory back. And when it, when it finally snapped back and she was able to recall details of it, 
it's, hor it's a horrifying story and she can document it all. And she'll be talking about that. But to me, the most frightening part of it is that she says she, many of the kids that were in the project when she was are now holding high positions of authority in our, our system in government and in, in business. Some of the people that are making these decisions that, are, that we're having to live under, uh, she says they were in the program as kids. Yeah, think about that for a minute. Well, I don't know, I could go on. I think you could read, come to the site and take a look at the rest of these speakers. We have a few more we're working on. And um, it's a, okay, you can, you can get these stories, most of them by reading books or going to the internet. Why would you come to the expo? You come to the expo because you want to meet real live human beings. It's time for us to come together and form a coalition, find strength in our numbers. We have to meet face to face, shake hands, have coffee together, make a coalition and lay strategy plans to what are we going to do about building something in our local community? We're building campuses now in every county in the United States, and we hope to move beyond that into uh, political subdivisions in other countries as well. Campuses, people who will organize boots on the ground and become influential in the local political scene and the social scene and influence, influence our lives at the ground up, not from the top down. People think, if we can just get somebody in the White House, all we got to do is just vote for some man on a white horse and everything will be fine if we just get our man in the White House. What an illusion that is. Our enemies have built their power from the ground up. Every little nook and cranny, every little town has got some representative or some office being paid for by uh, a George Soros or the deep state or somebody's on the payroll of the federal government. And it, this thing is organized from the ground up and we're never going to recapture our liberties unless we too organize from the ground up. So that's the main reason you wanna to come to Redfield Expo and be there in person. Now we know that most people can't do that. So the, the fallback of course would be to look at it online. We have a very modestly priced uh, live stream so you can watch everything from the comfort of your own home. Well, that's it. I hope everybody can come to uh, uh, Red Pill Expo, it's on the 6th and the 7th in Louisiana, Lafayette, and I'm, I'm driving from Los Angeles. I too am fed up with these uh, air, airlines, and I know that not asking for, for uh, passports yet, but they will as soon as they get up enough nerve and enough money from the federal government to cover their losses, they will. But why do I want to play with these people? So we're driving, and um, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're seeing the USA the way, the old-fashioned way from the ground for a change. Yeah, and I'm guessing uh, was one of the questions we had in the comments was uh, obviously there's no vaccine passports to get into uh, the Red Pill Expo, and obviously no mask. And I, <laughs> and I can, and I can say going from going there last year, um, you know, there was aside from maybe one or two people, maybe they were the government infiltrators uh, wearing masks. But out of I don't know, like 600 people, there was you know maybe one or two people wearing masks, and there were probably people that worked there or infiltrators. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I just want to let people know that obviously there's there's no mass to get into uh, to get into the Red Pill Expo. No, and I think most of the people that wore the mask that you saw uh, last time were on the staff of the facility, yeah. and they, they all said, "Look, we don't want to wear these things, but we're supposed to do it. It's part of our employment contract." So they did. Yeah, it was definitely super far, you know, few and far in between, and and I mean, and last year's was put together pretty much like a month or two in advance and, you know, during like the height of the whole pandemic and, and, you know, there was a great, I mean, it was a, a full, uh, full audience, you know, it was great atmosphere. And a lot of people, uh, you know, they're, you know, especially, you know, if you're watching this right now or listening to this and you haven't really 
been around other people who are awake. I mean, I'm lucky that everyone I, I hang out with and choose to associate with is of, you know, like mind. I mean, I mean, obviously I don't want to get myself into like a, you know, like a bubble, but at this stage of the game, I don't have time for people who aren't awake. Cause you know, I've been doing enough to try to get people awake that I just don't want to surround myself with that negativity, but there's a lot of people out there that don't have that luxury. And so if you don't have that luxury and everyone, and you're, you've been stuck inside, or maybe you're in New York, or maybe you're in one of these other, you know, uh, more authoritarian hell holes, you know, it's, you know, go over to uh, Louisiana. I mean, I'm sure you're probably, unless you're in Alaska, you're probably not driving further than, uh, you know, LA. Or I mean, I guess if you're in like Washington state or something, uh, but yeah, it was totally worth it last year. Now, and, and you did bring up, you know, one of the speakers was talking about an EMP attack. I mean, personally, I think that's one of the, you know, if they really wanted to, you know, bring things down, you know, whether it was, uh, I don't even know if it's an attack. It might just be like one of like a carenting type event where there's a, a massive solar flare that takes everything out. Like to me, that's one of the biggest things, uh, you know, that, that could potentially happen. Uh, and it sounds like, you know, also that they're really trying to have either like in my heart of hearts, I think there's going to be some sort of, uh, you know, either, you know, attack on the grid or not even attack. I mean, you have a bunch of line power linemen who uh, one of my clients is, is one of those. And he basically said that they're trying to make them get vaccinated and about 70% of them won't get vaccinated. And so, you know, where the, you know, you're not just gonna be able to get more power linemen. So it could be from that, or it could be an attack or it could be a hack or, you know, just, you know, you know. Yeah. Well, well it seems like, um, see what happened with Facebook there. And as soon as that happened with Facebook, everybody here in Canada was all over Facebook. It's like, yeah, we gotta, we gotta, you know, uh, put them under government law and regulate them and so on, because they, they really want to have that, you know, uh, the government wants to control, you know, these platforms. They don't like that. There's a little bit of, uh, even though that they actually follow a lot of the, uh, the steps that the government wants, they still like have algorithms that actually makes you fight each other uh, kind of thing. They, they're they set up that way to, you know, get more popularity, get more views and all this stuff, right? So, but the big thing that I saw with these attacks was that, or that were done for like almost six hours, I think, um, is that, you know, uh, they're calling for regulation, regulation, we got to regulate, uh, you know, uh, platforms like Facebook and so on. And I think, I, I couldn't care less because I, I deleted my Facebook account. I'm not on there, and we use alternatives. Uh, you know, me and Tim and and most people that were around. Uh, but still, like they would just love to get a hold of it because there's still a majority of uh, population that actually uses uh, those platforms until they actually get you know deleted or censored. Um, and uh, you know, there's uh, there's not much left uh, of free speech on any of them. Uh, and, uh, you know, wh what are we going to do? Like we, we have to, you know, I, I think Ed has said this back when I listened to him many times, it's like, you only need that 3% of people, you know, standing up and, uh, against, you know, tyranny and, and not backing down, you know, like you're lying in the sand, you know, like there's, uh, now has been the time of lines in the sand really. Uh, because there's so many people that said that, oh, yeah, you know, like my line is sad. If they're going to start, you know, wanting me to get vaccinated, uh, I'm going to, you know, that's my line is sad. And then the line, you know, draws back. So, go, oh, I'm going to take the first vaccine, take the second one because I want to travel. And so you need to really stand up. And, you know, I, I tried to explain to my family and friends here that all are vaccinated. It's like, listen, you know, like I'm not doing this to be a prick. I'm doing this to actually... Uh, because I want to stand up for you and everybody for our freedoms. Um, I don't think you, 
uh, yet understand the grasp of what is happening. But the reason why I am is mostly, you know, uh, it's also medical, but it's uh, mostly for me is a freedom stance, you know, that like you can't let them inoculate you with something with force, then it's game over. Like you have no private property anymore. And, and John, just think about Facebook. I mean, obviously, you know, a real whistleblower, you know, that I didn't, I didn't watch any of that. I didn't want to pay my attention to the 60 minutes whistleblower, but you know, a real whistleblower doesn't go on 60 minutes. A real, real whistleblower is either dead <laughs> or they're put in prison or they're ignored or they're shadow or run banned. away. So, like Assange I mean, Snowden, right? it's basically yeah. like, you know, they probably planted <laughs> that whole thing to then call for more regulation and more censorship that then, you know, gives them even more power. I mean, that would be my, uh, you know, sort of take on the whole thing. And then they can conveniently went down to then be able to bring more attention to this whole deal, you know, at least sort of my take. And then, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Griffin. Well, I was just going to say you're right on target because I think that's the, perhaps the most important aspect of this whole thing is that almost everything that has happened that we can think of, the major event that has been an excuse for more government regulation, as we, we find the seeds of it that were planted long before the event. There were preparations, even seminars and, and conferences. How are we going to do this? Well, it would be nice if we, if we had, uh, you know, an attack on, on, what if somebody attacked Pearl Harbor? You know, wouldn't that be convenient? And then, oh, we got an attack in Pearl Harbor. What would happen if we had a terrorist attack in one of our major uh, cities and, and, and a couple of buildings came down? Oh, well, then we, we had it. Everything that's happened has been contemplated ahead of time and right before that they said we need to have a new pearl harbor in order to like basically pass what yeah, was on the yeah. patriot act like right, yeah. right before yeah, that well, and, and, and also you know what about the coronavirus event two what one? if that broke up yeah. broke out <laughs> so now now they're telling us that yeah we we have we're in danger of cyber attacks right and but they had a big event what was it cyber or something polygon. cyber poly polygon. cyber polygon yeah. Yeah. okay so that was that we knew i knew okay it's coming this is how that's rehearsal time. And now they're going to have a, a cyber attack, probably another one. And we're talking about uh, EMPs. Now how, how difficult would it be for these people to throw a big switch someplace and all of the power would go down? And they'd say, flash, we just had an EMP up in the sky, an attack. And look, <laughs> the power is out. Oh, now we've got these emergencies. How difficult would that be? One switch or maybe one phone call, one blue phone or red phone or something they're all tied together now and yeah they could they could have a, a rehearsal that would be sold as the real thing and we wouldn't know any difference at all they might even they might even blow up one of the old transformers and we could take pictures of it burning you know an old transfer probably not even used anymore <laughs> or they could have like project blue they could have project blue beam you know a fake and alien invasion or they can i mean there's so many things that i yeah. feel like are in like their pocket there because i mean they have been talking a ton about about stuff like that and it's like they've got all these different uh, you yeah. know, cards that they can play right now. And, and and I think there was a video with Klaus Schwab and he was saying something along the effects of like, and there will be a cyber pandemic that is even more greater than the other pandemic and it's going to come. And yeah. so it's like, how yeah. does how does Klaus Schwab know that one of these things is going to well, come? He knows. He's paying for it. <laughs> I know. And it's just, it's just so ridiculous to see like all that, then his, you know, his book 
you know, is right out there, you know, in, you know, like June of 2020, ready to go. He's got an entire chapter. I think it's page 72 or 73, and it's called the fate of the US dollar, where they're, you know, talking about how they have a, you know, it's an exorbitant privilege to be the world reserve currency. And so it seems like at some point that's going to end. And, and then they wanted to reset everything. And part of that reset is not having, you know, us here. And on my way back from your conference last year from Jekyll Island, I stopped at uh, the Georgia Guidestones and then did a, a video on that. And so it's like, you know, they're putting it out there. I mean, there's videos of, of these guys, you know, saying they want to eliminate, you know, either 90% or 98%. And it's just, it, and so it's just hard to even get through people when you can show them an actual video of them saying that. Uh, and, and I've gotten censored before with some people in the truth movement for even talking about, you know, the Bill Gates, Ted talk video. And it's, and it's like when you can't even do things here, like with, and, and you've got, you know, operation lockstep from, uh, with the Rockefellers, I forgot if it's like 2011 or 2012, where they you know, basically had a whole blueprint saying we need to have more authoritarianism and we need to, uh, you know, basically, you know, force people into wearing masks and locking people down. And then, or if it's, you know, the, uh, what was it? I think, I think in 2019, you had uh, BlackRock was at Jackson Hole saying that basically the Fed needs to come in with all these extraordinary measures that they'd never done before. And then, you know, a month later, you've got a trillion dollar overnight repos and, you know, and then BlackRock's coming in and buying up their own like junk bond ETFs and then getting a, oh, from the Fed and then getting commissions in between. And so it's just so ridiculous how like all, basically everything is telegraphed out there for you. And yet people, it seems by and large, just, I mean, the average person, I mean, at least probably 75% of the country could care less, maybe even more than that. Well, and yeah, so I think it's because they, they don't know, they haven't seen the evidence. It just yeah. sounds like it's off the wall. That's, I started off by talking about it. You've got to look at the little details without knowing the details and the facts, then you, you, don't, you can't see the big picture. So our problem is that we know the details. I remember when I first started to get into this stuff, when, when someone would talk about things like what we're saying now, planned, planned catastrophes, I thought, oh, that's ridiculous. Not an American, no, no, no. And we, we have problems of, of corruption, yeah, but they would never plan something like this. Well, how little did I know? I hadn't read any of their stuff yet, you see. And then after I read their own stuff, I realized they're, they're not only talking about doing it, but the, the names show up on, on the battlefield when it's happening. And that, I'm not so stupid. I can see that this is the real thing. And besides that, it works. You just think about it for a minute. What would work better than that? It's the best strategy you could come up with. If you were, if you were Sun Tzu, you know, Sun Tzu said that, among many other things, the supreme excellence in warfare is to defeat your enemy without having to engage him in battle. Well, <laughs> yeah. this, is how, this is how you <clears throat> defeat your enemy without engaging him in battle, scare him to death. Yeah, Fair has definitely been one of the biggest perpetrators here and, and really has been the one that have gotten people to, you know, take the vaccines without questions and, and so on. You know, you see a lot of just looking at people here. It's so they open up the like they remove the mask mandate for a little bit here for a month and a half. And 90, I would say 95 to 98 percent of the people uh, were still wearing masks inside. <laughs> Oh, really? Oh, so they trained God. them pretty well here. And, yeah. and, and, you know, like people looking weirdly at me as soon as I don't have a mask on, you know, like they're, they're like in shock that, uh, that you have it. So they really like a lot of people and you, and you catch people as like driving around with your mask on in your car. Like there's so much, um, 
uh, so much into this that, you know, it's, uh, it's almost become ingrained and people feel very uncomfortable even like taking off their masks because they're, they don't like seeing people's faces anymore. Like it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, the mind, uh, mind control that really has happened. And I, uh, they've really done a great trick. And, and it seems like Manitoba is a test ground because Manitoba has been used for the, as a retail test ground. So when any company comes in, they have a product that they want to launch or a restaurant. They started up in, in Manitoba, actually, or Winnipeg. Uh, and then they branch out to North America. So it seems like maybe that's why they've been so uh, extreme totalitarian measures here is because they wanted to see, you know, how how far can we push you know people before we start to get some <laughs> well like thomas jefferson pushback. said the amount of tyranny you get is the amount of tyranny you put up with and so they just want to yeah. see how much tyranny they can get away with because if people will get away with it then, then they want to just keep pressing for more and more and more and that seems to be the uh the mo but i was wondering mr griffin are you familiar with who brandy vaughn was brand Yvonne. a brandy brandy vaughn she was a uh, famous Merck whistleblower who uh, she was the one that she was a Merck uh, sales rep and actually had found out that Vioxx was killing people. And so she blew the whistle on them. And then basically right, um, you know, right before like last year, Vioxx is going to be re-released underneath a different name by somebody else to do some, some other thing. And then I was in contact with her on, actually it was, actually it was on Black Friday after Thanksgiving to go interview her. And before I got the chance to interview her, she was found dead eight days later. Uh, so it was nine days after Thanksgiving last year. And she was very young, only, I think, 43 years old. They came in, uh, said that they said it was gallbladder and no investigation. We don't want you know nothing to see here. And then it came out months later that it wasn't gallbladder. And by then, probably, it was a very professional job. And there was videos of her where it came out and said that her, she founded an organization called learn the risk, uh, learn the risk.org where they were trying, where she was, you know, exposing, you know, everything going on with the vaccine. And so she's really one of the unsung heroes and people, one of the people that, you know, isn't really talked about too much, but, you know, I just happened to be dating the, you know, her best friend uh, still am right now. And I went to red pill with her. And so I had a real inside baseball view of everything that was going on. And basically it's the first person to the scene after her death was, you know, a neuro-linguistic programming expert, hypnotherapist. They got in there with the son, did everything they could to basically, uh, you know, make sure that there wasn't like a real investigation going on. And then several of the leaders of the so-called, you know, vaccine movement came in immediately and started intimidating my girlfriend, like the very next day, like here she is, her best friend has died and she's grieving. And a lot of the, uh, there's several leaders that came in and basically said, Hey, listen, if you don't make this fundraiser hundred percent about her son, if you do anything to try to keep learning the risk going, or you try to, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, use any money to investigate this death, you know, we're, we're pulling the fundraiser. We're not going to promote it at all. And, you know, and I, and I, then there was a, a gentleman who made a video that was a hit piece on my girlfriend. And one of the, and it was actually an interview that I did was a big part of this hit piece. It was a very poorly made hit piece. I'm not going to promote who that person was. Uh, and then there was another very big person in the movement who then came out and endorsed this other person that was obvious controlled opposition to my mind. And so for me, I, you know, as a person that I held in high regard, but one of those people who then promoted the person that was controlled opposition was actually Dell Bigtree. And so I know people don't like, I mean, I got, I mean, I know it was better for me just to shut up, not say it because he's a big hero in everyone's mind. But when I got to see him personally 
attack my girlfriend and and basically and then then we were both at uh float fest in march and she was giving a speech there and dell was on right before her and he didn't even look at her wouldn't do anything to even and he knew how close she was and now she's the current president of learn the risk and so for me i mean it was very very upsetting to see a lot of people in the vaccine move safety movement you know come in and uh immediately you know basically try to like strong, strong arm my girlfriend to basically tell her like, listen, you're not going to do this. And then she, you know, is very strong willed person and then decided that she wasn't going to listen to any of them. And, you know, it's very obvious to me that uh, she was more than likely poisoned and a lot of people aren't aware of her, but, you know, and it's, you know, it it just happened to be like right before the vaccines rolled out, I think a week before, maybe 10 days before the vaccine was rolled out that, you know, one of the heroes of the movement, one of the biggest whistleblowers was dead in her, early forties. And now her son's over in France, uh, living with his grandma and they did that. And, and right before she died, she went to my girlfriend and said, listen, uh, if anything happens to me, I want you to take care of my son. And then a lot of these leaders came in. And so it's sort of like a ramp, but it's, it's the one thing that like really kind of bothers me that Dell gets like all this praise and everything, because I've seen some things just behind the scenes, uh, where, you know, I'm just wondering like why, and, and then it, and it also, you know, it's, you know, he's talked about vaccine safety. And to me, you know, it shouldn't be about vaccine safety. It's just like there, there aren't really any safe vaccines that are out there. And so then it gets people like thinking into the wrong thing. But it's just like, I just feel like there's so much this controlled opposition that's just everywhere. Um, and I don't really know where I was going. This wasn't really like a question because it's just Brandy Vaughn was one of the real big whistleblowers of you know, of certainly probably the past, you know, 20 years when it came to vaccines. And it's unfortunately, there's just not a lot of people that know about her or organization. And she sort of went quietly. And a lot of the other leaders in, the organ- in these organizations just wanted to come in, swoop in and be the new, you know, continued leaders. And, but, you know, we're all sort of standing on, you know, her shoulders because, you know, she had a very, very lucrative job and gave it all up and basically gave up all of her inheritance and everything to promote vaccine education. And that was just one person that I wanted to put on your radar, who is sort of like an unsung hero of the, of, you know, the vaccine uh, movement, who just a, a lot of people just aren't, uh, aren't aware of. Well, I, I would like to know more about that uh, scenario. So anything you can send me uh, or if you're still on, yeah, I can get, I can get you in touch with the founder of learn the risk. I mean, I mean, she's yeah. watching the, she's watching the stream right now. I know that she is. Okay. And we drove to, uh, we drove to your expo last year together. So, I mean, uh-huh. Uh, and so I, I mean, that was, I mean, you can make a, there could be a movie that would be made on this, uh, in terms of, and, and I just did a very poor job of explaining what was going on. Um, cause I'm nervous cause you're one of my heroes that I'm talking to in front of right now. So it's just, you know, a little, a little bit ner- nervous, but, um, but yeah, certainly there is, there's you a lot a story. You tell a common story where, you know, people who have obviously done heroic service have been killed or, or damaged. Maybe their reputations have been so badly ruined that their lives were ruined too. Uh, and then in those in those stories, usually there's some some evidence of uh, betrayal, you know? So uh, it's a topic in itself. Uh, someday I'd like to be able to have no, enough time to do nothing else, but just to do a study on this thing called controlled opposition. It's perhaps the, the most powerful secret weapon that our enemy has. Because Fox News, sorry. sorry. Well, yeah, the people on our side are so willing to snap on anything that looks good. You know, if somebody stands up and says, I'm for the Constitution. Oh, there's a good man. Let's vote for him. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I 
I'm tired of this uh, because these these people, the, the, I'm not pointing to anybody in particular, but I know that there's a whole group of people that study what we want to hear and then they tell us what we want to hear so we will support them and, and select them as our leaders. And it's, it's a very effective strategy because once a person accepts someone as a leader, it's, they do not want to hear anything bad about them. Especially if it's a president. You know, if I voted for that man. He's a good man. I would not well, look, look at look at what happened with Trump. You know, like all the Trump supporters, he was he started Operation Warp Speed, and people just they want to almost hear disregard. It. Yeah, exactly. So it's uh, no controlled opposition is interesting because I remember starting a political party here in our province, and uh, they tried to plant uh, the f- former finance minister of Canada's brother into my party. So he could take over the party and use it as a shell uh, to, you know, uh, siphon off money uh, into it. And he was one of the liberal leaders, you know, like Axworthy, you know, probably heard the name. I don't know if you heard the name Lloyd Axworthy, Uh, but uh, his brother, Bob, uh, actually came in and tried to take over uh, the party. As I actually had been at a Freedom Force event (laughs) that I was down there for a bit. And so I come back and there was like a a leadership vote. Who's going to be the leader over the party? And uh, yeah, this guy who's there like, oh, we're going to run on this liberal platform. It's like, no, uh, I, I had to come in there. And so like, this is the platform. You know, if you don't want to run on this platform, you could just walk out. And, and sure enough, he did. He actually didn't say nothing. He just stood up and uh, walked straight out. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, they're everywhere. And also Justin Trudeau's best friend tried to sabotage my party as well. He's, you know, portrayed himself as a, um, you know, anti-vax and and uh, he's all for, you know, the health uh, side of things, right? And then suddenly he just pops in and, and uh, suddenly on TV, he says that, oh, you know, like this is the platform, is the liberal platform. So these guys are, you know, just like snakes, you know, like sneaking around and then suddenly coming out of uh, the woodwork as you, you know, like they're trying to portray themselves as, as you said, you know, like they're saying this message initially, uh, but then suddenly they come out and it becomes pretty evident of, you know, what was their mission and, and what they were put in place for. And, and sure enough, you know, they destroy the party, the, uh, the, the party leader, Gary, he actually had to run to Saskatchewan because they threw him out because he dared to question that they would be only two sexes. <laughs> yeah, or look at how the Tea Party got, you know, immediately infiltrated and taken over. Yeah. And and I, you know, as soon as I read Creeps from Jekyll Island and started understanding controlled opposition, I immediately recognized Fox News as being controlled opposition. And so, <laughs> I mean, it's my opinion, not Mr. Griffin's necessarily, but it's like you've got, okay, you got Australian liberals that own this station who are friends with Soros and the like, <laughs> and, you know, are Hillary supporters and bundlers. And yet they're the America right wing Patriot group is a bunch of Australian <laughs> liberals that pal around with, you know, Soros's son, like Alexander Soros and Lachlan Murdoch or friends. And I remember watching you on uh, Glenn Beck, like years and years ago, it was the only time I watched really Glenn Beck was to, to watch, watch you on there. And I don't remember if this was your, I think you were on there talking about the federal reserve. And it seems like sort of their MO is that I always would say that Fox news is the most dangerous because, you know, MSNBC, obviously they're full of crap, CNN, obviously full of crap. And all these other ones are like, that are so obvious. Uh, whereas Fox News, I feel like would tell the truth like 80, 90% of the time. But then that, that crucial last five, 10%, they would just Judas goat you. 
in the wrong direction to then get like, I remember like one time Glenn Beck was talking about FEMA camps and like building it up, building it up, building it up for like weeks. And then to come out to be like, Oh, well actually FEMA camps don't exist. And you know, just a bunch of right-wing conspiracy people. And, and I think he did something like that with you too, when you were on there about the federal reserve and maybe now he's according to Alex Jones, he's coming around and starting to realize that Alex Jones is right in some things, uh, which I, you know, I do. And I remember watching on Alex Jones last year too. And, and uh, there was a couple of analogies that he gave that were quite funny that I don't want to waste your time with now in terms of the interview that you that you were on last year uh but yeah it just seems like fox or uh controlled opposition is one of the most dangerous things to watch out for uh you know because unfortunately it just gets everybody into this movement and i was a huge 2016 huge trump fan i had the largest libertarian pro-trump libertarian facebook group there was i had a fake news list that went viral two and a half months before trump used that term and the only person i listed on the thing was paul with only person by name I listed was Paul Krugman. A year and a half later, Trump has a fake news awards list and it's Paul Krugman's the only person that's listed by name. And so the day after that went viral, I went from getting a thousand subscribers a day to negative 10 for 10, for five years straight. And I took myself off Facebook. I'm like, they shadow banned me so hard that I was only, I was reaching millions of people. Then all of a sudden, boom, we're gone. Uh, last October, you know, I was on World Alternative Media with Josh and, and John as well. And then they, you know, yanked our channel along with all the QAnon people. So here we are talking about how QAnon was fake. And then they kicked us <laughs> off with all the QAnon people. So that was like so insulting that here we were like talking about how fake it was. And then we get kicked off the same day that all the pro QAnon people. So I know we're ranting now, but, uh, you know, I'm, I just can't imagine all the controlled opposition that you've seen back in the day when, you know, especially in the 60s and 70s and 80s before anybody even really knew this stuff was even going on. So what really, I guess, woke you up to what was going on? I, like, was there one sort of aha moment of that's when you kind of found out that the whole game was rigged or was there like a series of of moments that sort of led to your awakening and just want to see if you could share more or was it with the Timor uh, Tamerlane book that woke you up, but <laughs> uh, no, that, that was real. No, not, not even close to it. Okay. Uh, I don't think there was any one thing, no great earth shaking event, but it was a series of steps, small steps. And those steps were all leading to the same goal, the same destination. And the destination was to realize that I was living in a false paradigm of right versus left. I was initially quite concerned about the left. Communism was on the march. It was taking over country after country after country. We had cells here in the United States. I, I got to meet some of these people. I hung out at their bookstore. I read the communist literature and all that. And I, I realized that communism was a threat. And um, we had communists in our government and then that was the McCarthy era. And then they, they crucified McCarthy, made him look like an idiot. And then they got rid of all of the uh, laws that allowed us to uh, investigate communism. We got rid of the House Committee on Un-American Activities. We got rid of the Senate Internal Security Subcommittee. And the time came when even all the local states and cities uh, had to get rid of their um, anti-subversive divisions and destroy their files, it was all required. I could say, oh my God, well, it's communism is creeping in, it's everywhere. But at that time I thought, like so many people mm -hmm. still think, okay, if communism is the enemy and that's on the left, well then what am I? Well, I'm against that, so I must be on the right. I had by default, I was on the right. Mm -hmm. I wasn't asking too many questions. I just, I just assumed that in order to oppose one thing, you had to be on the opposite side. 
that was kind of simplistic thinking. So I thought of myself as a right winger. And I said, yeah, I'm on the right wing. And there's left wingers that terrible. The right wing is where you ought to be. And uh, gradually now, as I'm taking these little steps, I'm learning as I go and I start reading more and more of the opposition's material. And I get away from just the pure communist material. And I read the fascist and Nazi material and get away from that and read stuff eventually being written by people like um, um, Professor Carol Quigley, who uh, was the mentor of President Nixon. I mean, uh, oh, Clinton. Uh, Clinton, uh, yeah, when, when he was a student at uh, Georgetown University. And I was learning about this higher he gave level. him his he gave him his, it's even more so than that he gave him his Rhodes scholarship and then he was one of two people mentioned in his inauguration that he oh, said yeah. i'd like to thank two people and one of them was jfk for inspiring him and the other one was carol quigley so this was yeah. you're even like downplaying like you know how much this guy was you know central yeah. to uh oh, he was very central yeah and but i just didn't want to take all the time on it but anyway as i progressed beyond the obvious you know hardcore literature of the communists, the Nazis, the fascists, and so forth, and start moving up to this higher level of, of conspiracy that Quigley was talking about, the organization that was really crystallized by Cecil Rhodes, created the world's greatest secret society, was so, so successful and so secret that they didn't even have a name. They chose not to have a name, still doesn't have a name. And Cecil Rhodes said, reason we do that is uh, because we don't have a name it makes it difficult to talk about us you know these uh, and now all of a sudden you're upstairs you're you've, you've risen above and you're looking down and sort of a tableau of a lot of things that don't make sense until you get this higher view and then okay i'm, I'm getting to the point was i suddenly realized or gradually realized that what i was really opposing was something called collectivism it wasn't it wasn't left-wing, it wasn't communism, fascism, Nazism, not supposed to on the right wing. And I peel off the labels and you know, read their books and you realize that they're saying the same thing, basically. The left and the right are, they believe the same. Their only, their only um, complaint against each other is that they're competitors. They, each one wants to be uh, in charge. And so they fight the other one, they're competitors, but they both believe the same thing. And then you realize that some of them were able to move back and forth. The Nazis became communists, communists became Nazis, depending on geographically where they were, their objectives were the same. And so I became then aware that there's this thing called collectivism, which is the underlying ideology beneath all of those groups. And that the opposite was called individualism. And then I realized, hey, I'm not a right winger at all. I'm an individualist. I believe in individualism. And I'm not opposing communism as per se or fascism or that. I'm opposing collectivism. And that's when all of this began to really come into focus. You know, now approximately a, when? Do you know when approximately this was? Oh, like what, what year? No. <laughs> Let me think. I would <laughs> what guess decade? Probably, no, okay. I'm going to guess it crystallized probably about the year 2000. Oh. And by 2002, I was writing about it. So uh, it was in that era someplace. So that's the answer to the question. It was not a, an awakening and then the bells didn't ring, that nothing went off, the alarm didn't go off. It just, I woke up one morning, I said, ah, I think I'm getting it now. No wonder we're losing because we're being asked to choose up sides and our collectivist enemies own both sides. And we have to be on the right or the left. 
We have to be yeah. a Republican or a Democrat. You know, we have to be something like that. And when you peel off the labels and you look underneath, these people believe essentially the same thing. They've learned rhetoric. They conduct polls to find out what language they have to use to make it sound like they're saying the things we want to hear. And they say those things and we say, there's a good man or woman, we vote for them. <laughs> and, and then we're amazed when nothing changed. How about that? We get all these people that are gonna bring an end to these wars and bring our troops home, but no matter who it is, Republican, Democrat, wars continue the, the, and the number of troops increases and the number of casualties increases. The, the budget spending for the military goes up and the inflation goes up and the government controls increases and the personal freedom continues to decrease no matter who's in power because we've been choosing up sides with the right wing and the left wing are two wings on the same ugly bird called collectivism. That's what I learned. And I think it was the most important lesson of my life. I think you really hit the nail on the head that it is individualism versus collectivism. And when I first started my podcast in 2016, part of the, the intro was saying, trying to break through the false left-right paradigm. And I think you are the person more than anybody that helped me understand that. Uh, you know, that basically we're just having this false divide. Cause I went to an ultra liberal school, like probably the most liberal school in New York and graduated from there. And somehow, you know, just knew that everything that they were talking about was crap, but the year was 2008. So now that I've obviously dated myself and so, so, you know, not say luckily the entire economy imploded as soon as I graduated, you know, which is awesome when you work in finance and first day on the job is the day Lehman Brothers goes down, you know, welcome to the business. And so then it had made me question everything. And I was in the class that won the national competition on the federal reserve against Harvard, Yale and MIT. And I just knew that everything on the left was, wasn't wasn't right, you know, no pun intended. But then, you know, it sort of, you know, got me into like the John McCain. And then once I moved, once, you know, a year, about a year later, I then realized, discovered, uh, well, I discovered your book, which then led me to Dr. Ron Paul, which then led me down all these different rabbit holes, uh, which also probably then led me to get divorced too, getting all these, down all these different rabbit holes. But, you know, but anyways, no, but that's, but she, she got me the book. My ex wife got me your book. So she's to blame, really. So I didn't even know your book existed. So, uh, but anyways, no, it's all, it's all good now. But, you know, now we're on like the verge of talking about, you know, trillion dollar coins that the treasury's going to mint. And it's just so ridiculous. Like, does that mean that an ounce of uh, platinum is now worth a trillion dollars? And what's that supposed to do to? Um, I guess know, it should. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's if you're gonna have a one ounce trillion dollar coin, then shouldn't the new price of, of platinum be a trillion dollars? Or just saying that that basically the dollar is worth one, uh, you know, one trillionth of a, you know, of, of, an, of an ounce of well, silver. A, yeah, it all, all it all comes down to collectivism versus individualism. You know, I I grew up in a country where collectivism is paramount. You know, it's very different from uh, even in Canada. You know, there's not even close to the amount of collectivism. We have a thing in Norway called Janteloven. Uh, and uh, if people are interested, it's uh, J-A-N-T-E-L-O-V-E-N. I'm pretty sure it's the Janta law. You could probably find that as well. But basically in that, the unwritten law of society in Norway is, uh, and I should take a sentence out of it, and, and it is, uh, you know, never think that you should be better than anybody else. And that is kind of paramount because in Norway, for example, we have these athletes that are just total obnoxiously individualists uh, because I think what they want to do is prove, you know, to the group that like, screw you guys, you know, like I can be successful. Uh, and it's, you know, very devastating the, uh, 
uh, in Norway, you know, they chased out all the businesses. So all the businesses are, you know, that are Norwegian are not based in Norway anymore. Uh, and, you know, the government is massive. You know, now that oil prices went down, the government size of GDP went from uh, 42% to 58 Okay. And it's only, I think it's number fourth in the world, you know, only behind France. And I, I think, uh, I forgot the other countries, but uh, so I grew up in that and I really levitated towards, you know, when Ed, uh, especially, I, you know, I was, I was researching and looking around. And I really levitated when I found Freedom Force. And that kind of started around the time, didn't it, Ed? At least the idea. Uh, back when you started to wake up there, I think it was like, was it 2003 or something or two? When you, when you started? At the same time, 2000, yeah. 2002. We had our, yeah. our first organizational meeting, as I recall, in 2002. Not the one yeah. that you were at, but uh, the one back on... Um, was that was it? in the Caribbean, wasn't it? At a, at yeah, a summit yeah. or some sorts, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was at a, 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 an investment conference and I was talking about the Federal Reserve. And uh, the question came up about, well, what, what do you think we should do about it? I said, well, I have some ideas. If you want to hear my ideas, we'll have a little breakout meeting and a little room down the hall here after the meeting. Well, <laughs> some people showed up and that's where it all started. We talked about what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's that, very that important. Was, yeah, that was uh, right. The country north of Dominican, Dominican Republic. Um, ah, that's where it was. Wait. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm trying to think yeah. now. Dominican, anyway, it's not important. Yeah, no, I, Bahamas, no, no, no. Anyway, no. it's not it's not <laughs> yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, no. I'll think, but, of it, but, I'll think of it while you're talking, and I'll just blurt it out. Okay? <laughs> yeah, but the idea was born, right? Like that was uh, what's most important. And then, of course, in in 2013 I, or 12, I believe, Anna, a lady called Annalisa uh, approached you and said, like, "Hey, Ed." You know, like, uh, you know, the, these great ideas that you have, you know, like, let's uh, let's take some action. And and then, of course, you know, the first meeting, I, I remember attending the meeting uh, in Paso Robles where, uh, you know, a group, I think it was like 100 people or so. Right. And then mm-hmm. and then it's just like, yeah, we're going to create a council. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody st- stood up and spoke and uh, and uh, talked about, you know, what they uh, believed in what was right in this world and uh and that was kind of the moment that uh i, I think like it was that meeting that really kicked me in the ass uh if you can say that really got me to you know like this is it you know this is my calling in life and uh it, it really is important to find your passion in life and when you find it you got to take it and go and never look back uh, that that's my uh, view to it and of course with you know, the ideas that you brought forward to my mind and others, you know, uh, over this time, uh, it's just, it's paramount because you see the collectivism, you know, push uh, right here, right now. Like as old as, you know, the greater good, you know, I, I have a, I have a funny meme, um, you know, that is called, uh, 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 what is the meme now? Uh, it's, it's from a movie called The Hot Fuss. Uh, and, and it's like he confronts a group of local people that, you know, like they have this great, uh, great town where there's no crime or no nothing. I don't know if you ever seen the movie, but uh, and uh, they all sit in dark hoodies and, and suddenly he goes and confronts them because he finds out that they go and kill everybody that, you know, causes any ruckus 
in, in the town. And then he's like, how, how can you guys do this? It's for the greater good. Uh, they repeat. And I was like, how can this be for the greater good? The greater good. <laughs> they repeat. And it's just that scene. It, it really uh, engulfs like what, um, what um, collectivism is all about. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's, it, it's everywhere right now. And it's getting pushed, especially by the UN and the World Economic Forum. You know, like I look at here, the Conservative Party in our province pushed forward the Ministry of Sustainable Development like two, three years ago, right? So these ideas come, and of course, they came out of Norway. Well, uh, headed you know, by like who, like Mark Carney, but headed by like Mark Carney or uh, like one of the other central, well, bank, former Gore, central bankers. Brundtland, the former prime minister of Norway that created our common future, she wrote it together with, I think, uh, Maurice Strong from Manitoba whole places uh, and then uh that turned into agenda 21 that now is agenda 2030 and then of course the esg 17 goals right and, and of course you know everything that you hear right now and and the reason why oil prices are going through the roof right now is because nobody is investing in the financial industries investing in oil so oil prices are skyrocketing right now because i i looked at it you know oil rigs are at a third of what they were just three years ago and you know they're creating these uh these false premises and they're creating this chaos these lockdowns that created all this chaos right so these are the collectives creating uh the chaos that you know from it they push forward all their ideas you know look at what what is happening with vaccine passports central bank digital currencies everything is just uh getting pushed really hard ed i wanted to ask you you know like do you think that this is the time that they will really try to go all in? Or do you think they they will still like keep on, you know, having their slow trickle that you've seen through your lifetime? Uh, do you think that this is the time that they could, you know, do the almost like a great leap forward, you know, uh, like um, Mao did? Like a great reset? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's hard for me to imagine that they wouldn't. I think they, they played their hand now. And uh, the time for patient gradualism is over because they, they, they blew the whistle. They put the throttle forward and they woke up the sleeping mass. And I don't think it's possible, I suppose. I, I, who was it? Barnum and Bailey said, ne you never went broke uh, underestimating, underestimating the intelligence of the average person uh, or something like that. I suppose the masses could go back to sleep if they stopped what they were doing and said, oh, we made a mistake and allowed everything to sort of return to normal. But I don't see that happening. I think they, they have committed themselves. You mentioned Agenda 2030. I think 2030 is their official deadline yeah. where, they, where they lock it all up, where they think it would be impossible to uh, do anything about it. And I think they're just going to go for it. And um, so that, this is our chance. If we don't do it by 2030, or maybe a lot before that, I don't think we'll have another chance in our lifetime. Now, civilization might rebound. I mean, it might yeah. take a hundred years or a thousand years, and who knows what future generations might do. But uh, in our lifetime, in our culture, and our society, it's now. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, you know, the, the time that we have to live through and, and really like being at a place, you know, I... I, I looked into all the conspiracy theories and all this stuff. And then really it's like right at your front door now, you know, it's, it's right in your face and uh, you know, they're, they're coming after you. <laughs> and um, 
it's 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 a great time to really like try to evolve to a next level and and i think me and tim we're actually working on something right now uh something that i think will be uh paramount for people and and we're actually creating something we're gonna talk about we're only one day we're only one day into it so let's not get let's not let's not not, like talk about it right now but it's okay it's gonna be something along the lines of individualism on a on a grand scale uh that that me and tim are working on but it's and it's something that will you probably hear more about in two three weeks from now from from me and tim anyways uh for all our viewers and everybody here but uh, it's paramount that you take action and stand up. And, and that's what we're doing on a, on a bigger scale now uh, that we have plans uh, to do. And, and I think a lot of others are starting to wake up. I actually, so when I used to have events in, in Manitoba uh, with Josh back in the day, you know, we had maybe 12, 20, 30 people come out. Well, I was at an event against, you know, the, the, the mask mandates, the forced vaccination and everything. Well, now there was almost a thousand people uh, in our province standing outside of the legislative buildings and, and saying that, you know, this is our line in the sand. Uh, so that, you know, uh, makes, uh, you know, a, a guy like me, it makes my heart <laughs> uh, start to pound fast and get a little bit excited because it shows you that there is something there. There's that flame uh, of freedom, you know, that are kept alive in certain people that are coming awake right now. And um, I think that, you know, with a little bit of guidance and I, uh, I'm getting a little bit more involved now with these people and trying to, you know, find out what they're all about and, and so on to maybe help them because these are the people that are, you know, right now, a lot of them are just w- waking up to this tyranny and, and, you know, to what you've, you know, covered for decades, said. Uh, so it's it's really important with the guidance and helping them, you know, uh, see the uh, see the right things because they can only see like, oh, let's get rid of like we had our election in Canada, okay? Let's get rid of Trudeau. Well, the thing was like we spent seven hundred million dollars yeah. Canadian, and we had the same election result as was last time. <laughs> well, John, one th- one thing so, that you no, you were talking um, about before, uh, I think we see that, yeah. You were talking about how it only took about 3% of people to uh, basically affect a great change. Now, also, there's this fire. Well, I mean, Samuel Adams said it does not take a majority to prevail, but rather an rate tireless minority keen on setting brush fires of freedom in the minds of men. And I think that really kind of sums up both of what you were talking about yeah. from earlier, that it just takes a small amount of people. But unfortunately, a small amount of people on the other side, uh, the collectivist side have basically gotten us to you know the place we're at today and so it doesn't take you know you don't need 50 percent of the people you don't need 51 percent of the people you just need enough people who aren't going to you know who are going to stand the line and, and i have actually had a client who i spoke with today who gave up like baseball player type money uh as a physician you know very uh you know well-to-do physician who gave it all up uh because he wouldn't get the jab and so you know and at his hospital uh, you know i don't want to get into like specifics but basically you know about out of the people who weren't going to get the jab about half of them caved at the very last second just to be able to keep their jobs and so you know it's just so i think the best thing people can do is you know get off that control grid i mean i lost my job for speaking at anarcha boco in 20 uh 2018 for daring to talk about how people could sell their crypto and do so in in charitable trust and actually you probably don't remember this but i was backstage right before i was going to talk and the and probably two of my biggest idols were yourself 
and also uh, Mike Maloney. And then actually both of you guys happened to be backstage right before I was coming on stage. So to make it even more nerve wracking, the first time I was ever going to talk in front of like 500 people and, and both of you guys are right there. But uh, but anyways, um, you know, it just seems like and, and one of the other people that, you know, one of the actually the person who I went to that conference with was actually Ernest Hancock. And he's the one that sort of introduced me to a lot of people. And one of the things that Ernie says is, you know, that he likes when these you know tyrants, you know, just say it. So he, you know, he would say in his voice, you know, just say it. And so, you know, for me, you know, having them have all this tyranny out there in the open is actually beautiful. So when you see things like, you know, the new office of the comp controller currency uh, nominee, <laughs> you know, one, uh, the Lenin award and praise USSR's, you know, equality. And so for me, like when you've got people out there that are, I mean, she wants to end banking as we know it. I mean, I would like to end banking as we know it, but not in the same way she <laughs> wants to end banking as we know it. And so when you come, you know, get these people out there, like, it doesn't make me mad. Like it actually like sort of like invigorates me that they're like this bold, like this open that they can have, you know, you know, just all this, you know, crap going on and, and uh, you know, that they're trying to, and, and a lot of people are waking up. So I am like very positive, you know, of where things are going. Uh, but, you know, and then also, I mean, I, last time I flew, I, I tried wearing a gas mask on the plane last month <laughs> and they wouldn't let me on the plane with a gas mask. So I'm like, what is it? Like, I can't be like, there's a deadly pandemic, but I'm not allowed to be too safe. Like I have to wear like your, your little like paper mask. And, uh, and actually like I had actually worn a mask in February, 2020 to get my TSA global entry interview. And they were livid with me for wearing a mask. And then I didn't wear a mask in July, 2020. And they were livid with me for not wearing a mask. And here they are not letting me on the plane wearing a gas mask. So I have like the full triumvirate of them being mad at me for like every, every one of these situations. But, you know, but part of it was I got it on camera, but you know, I got them to say it. Like I got them to say that I can't be too safe wearing like the best mask money can buy that I have to, you know, it's all about, you know, compliance and control and being a slave. And, you know, and there's, I'm sure there's a lot of people who did get the vaccine who are probably pissed or who weren't awake and now are awake. And so, you know, I do see a lot of, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer on all this, but, you know, it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, an easy road, but, you know, but for those of us who are going down the path of trying to, you know, create communities and going off grid and, getting into, you know, certain types of, you know, crypto as, as a hedge and gold and silver as a hedge and having, you know, uh, you know, lead, I guess, as a hedge too. And, you know, just being able to prepare yourself and not, and, you know, and having an income that isn't derived from the man, you know, in my opinion, is like sort of the best way to uh, survive all this. And, and I do like how at the last red pill that I went to that you had, uh, you know, someone there that talked about how, and I can't remember her name, but she was talking about how you could basically get, you know, tons of different you know, food and calories in a very, very small space. And she was talking about, you know, chickens and rabbits and different things that you can grow than the calorie, the caloric density. And so, you know, that was, I thought that was very valuable information at the last uh, Red Pill Expo. And, and, but, you know, is there anything else I sort of like forgot in terms of, you know, you know, what, uh, you know, people should do to sort of like escape this tyranny or, or ways to, the, they can protect themselves, uh, you know, because it, it seems like, you know, there is you know, that we're sort of, I feel like we're sort of like in the eye of the storm and that we got through like one hard part and the, and they wanted to, the, the powers that be gave us this little like reprieve right now. Uh, and then they're, you know, we're going to, you know, potentially face another dark winter here. So, uh, you know, I'm not, I mean, I never wore a mask in the grocery stores. I was the only one, but, you know, but for people who are out there, like what, what are some things that they can do to help protect themselves besides, I mean, obviously going to red pill is one thing and learn some good ideas, but you know, what would you recommend that people do to try to protect themselves for all this? Okay. I'm not sure that I have any suggestions that are unusual that we don't all hear or have heard many times, 
but it doesn't uh, it doesn't hurt to repeat them. Uh, you've already mentioned quite a few of them. Uh, food independence, food food security is very important. Uh, that, that was uh, Marjorie Wildcraft, by the way, that you're thinking about. Okay, she's uh, perhaps one of the the top uh, experts in growing your own food in a small amount of space without you know devoting your life to it. She's she's quite good at that. Um, so yeah, food independence, and uh, I think uh, you need to be prepared to protect yourself against uh, you know civil disorder that's uh, coming, in, especially if you're living in the cities. And of course, you know if you want to be real realistic, and you're you're out in the, the suburbs or out in the country, and you you do have your food independence and all that, there'd be people that want out and come, want to come out and take it from you. So you, you know, all those things are realistic considerations. Uh, you don't want to think about them too much, but you can't afford to ignore them. Uh, as far as uh, converting your um, savings, whatever we might have in savings, into uh, uh, something that will last uh, the destruction of the monetary system, uh, tangible assets are the only way to go, whatever they are. The easiest, of course, is gold and silver. That's uh, time-tested, you might say, by millennia. And uh, there are other things, too. I mean, food, a warehouse or a storehouse of food. Uh, you joke about it, but a warehouse full of toilet paper wouldn't be a yeah. thing to invest in. <laughs> or get a, a warehouse. bidet. No. <laughs> yeah. no, things like that. Uh, I've often joked about getting a warehouse full of um, cheap white wine. Um, when things go bad, people always find some way to get wine or they'll trade something for wine or beer. Uh, it's kind of funny to say that, but the point is I'm focusing on any asset would be better than having whatever savings you have locked up in national currencies, because that's going to be totally worthless. But beyond that, I think the thinking process has to be beyond, well, what do you do to try and protect yourself? How do you avoid the uh, crisis? You, I think the proper attitude is don't be silly. Don't put yourself needlessly in harm's way, but be grateful for the challenge and be prepared to stand up and confront whenever if, when possible. Don't hide, don't run. You can't win a, a battle unless you're on the battlefield. You can't, you can't defeat the enemy unless you're facing the enemy. Well, I guess you could if you're running the banks and you can cut off their off somebody's money, you can defeat them that way without defeating them on the battlefield. But that's not our option. We have to stand up. We have to go to meetings. We have to show up, suit up, express ourselves, make sure we uh, have a presence on all the talk show radios, letters to the editor, make those pamphlets I'm talking about, whatever it is, print something that you like. It doesn't have to be a fancy pamphlet. Print it up. You got a printer. Buy lots of ink. Print it up. Hand it to your neighbors. Hand it to your friends. Distribute that, that's pieces of paper. And then, of course, you have to get together. You can't be alone. And that's where the campuses of Red Pill University, I think, are so valuable. You have to know your neighbors. You have to get together regularly and you have to plan how to help each other in the event of need. Uh, you should know, uh, somebody in your group should know something about medical care. And uh, you should have an expert on, on growing food. You should have you know, an expert on all of these different things, an expert on cryptocurrencies, uh, for one thing, in every group. because. Most people that even want to have some cryptos in, in the event that the currency goes down don't know how to operate the system, but you need it. You need somebody in every group that would be willing to help others in that. So you have to develop a way to make something useful, not just to, I mean, like myself, I'm, I'm a writer. Okay, what do I do that in a time of a crisis that somebody 
<laughs> need. You can't eat my bloody books, you know. <laughs> it would be very, very hard to digest them, I would say. <laughs> so we all have to have something that we can offer or at least make, uh, have a skill perhaps. And so that's something to think about. All of these things are defensive and negative and depressing to think about. I'd like to add, whenever I go into this mode about what to do about it, I'd like to think in terms of taking the, uh, taking the uh, lead, uh, being aggressive, not reacting, but acting. How can we take the battle to the enemy? How can we institute a lawsuit? How can we confront somebody at the town hall meeting? How can we visit some politician in his office and seek a, you know, an appointment or a, at a public meeting and confront them and ask questions? How can we circulate petitions? How can we draft up certain uh, pieces of legislation that would be beneficial. How do we take the initiative, in other words? I think, uh, I don't have the answers to all that, but we're working on that at Red Pill. And some of our speakers this time will be addressing just those issues. How do we take the initiative? How do we take the war to our opponents instead of wait for them to take it to us? Thank you for all that. And we wanna be mindful of your time. and would definitely appreciate that you, you know, went you know, extra long in this long form in, uh, format. I know that we do have a lot of people who were, uh, you know, writing in and saying, th you know, thank you for everything that you've done. And also, you know, thanking you, uh, you know, for having this longer form format, because, you know, they're, you know, if people are used to the TV and you get, you know, a five minute segment, if you're lucky, and it's all, you know, taken out of context. So, you know, I, I you know, I certainly know that, you know, having you being able to be, you know, having you grace us with your presence for so many times is, you know, one of the highlights of, you know, certainly my career. And, you know, if people ask me like, who, who have you got to interview? And you know, not your number one on the list. You know, maybe if I get to interview Dr. Ron Paul someday, you know, you guys will, will be tied. I've been on the phone with him before, but anyways, definitely appreciate, definitely appreciate everything. You know, we want to direct people to redpillexpo.org. And then, you know, and one of the guys who has helped us out a lot in terms of trying to, you know, he does all the behind the scenes stuff for us, post our videos, is Arthur Diamondhand Zach down there. So I wanted to have him bring you on being one of the younger guys who really helped, you know, he helps basically leverage our time. So I don't know if, if Zach, have you got anything you wanted to ask Mr. Griffin? I just want to say hi. <laughs> so. um, no, uh, you guys pretty much covered it all. Uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, thank you for giving us your time. Uh, I echo uh, a lot of what you guys said today. Well, thank you, Zach. I got to ask you, what's who are the figures on your shirt? Uh, the it's uh, Lincoln, Washington, Franklin, and uh, who's that on the end there? Would it be Madison. It looks like Madison. Yeah. Okay. You're quizzing uh, him. He he wasn't prepared. He wasn't prepared for the <laughs> for this right now. Yeah, and I need normal. some help too. Did uh, John? with Dominican Republic. Well, and, and we're going to cut the live stream now, but before we go, we do appreciate everyone who's been watching and tuning in. Make sure you know that you're not just watching us on YouTube, that you go to timandjohnshow.com, sign up for the email list. And I'm very bad. We haven't really even been emailing people, but we've just been collecting these names and numbers for the day that we are kicked off. We've already been extremely shadow banned. So if you're watching us on YouTube, please, uh, you know, go find us on a different source. And then also want to tell everybody, thank you so much. Thank you for Mr. Griffin's time and let's go, Brandon. So. Okay. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Bye everybody. Uh